pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Well, it's Wednesday. Uh, last night, Governor Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee gave his first, possibly last, uh, but gave his um, state of the state. And the governor, uh, the governor's the governor. Governor McKee, um, as we had talked about, and I know this may seem like a criticism, but it's... Um, Doing a teleprompter-type delivery speech, it's it's not as easy as it looks. And Governor McKee at times, last night, if you want to be objective, he struggled with it. He seemed very nervous. He's never done anything like this before. I think in some ways he did the best he could. But what really, I believe, what hurt Governor McKee with his state of the state was the fact that immediately following, first of all, it was it was too slow. It was a little long. Um, he went through the things that he, you know, thinks are important, but I don't, I don't um, necessarily find that these are things that are particularly good for everyone in Rhode Island. I didn't, as in listening to Governor McKee's speech last night, I didn't hear anything that I felt was aimed at me, or or aimed aimed at many of you. Um, there's there's still a lot of pandering. Whenever you talk about school construction. That's really all just no-bid contracts to the unions to give them these huge, massive projects to do. That's just, so you know, about elections and getting their endorsements and votes. Um, this whole notion that somehow our education system would turn around if we just had brand-new schools that are over-costly and so forth. I mean, it's just that that's what's going on. But what I thought really stole a lot of the thunder from Governor McKee last night, and I'm, I would imagine the McKee people are not happy about this, um, sometimes the television stations, channel 10, 12, and six, <clears throat> sometimes they, um, sometimes they have run the quote Republican response to it. Sometimes they have not last night. They did. And house minority leader, Blake Filippi absolutely blew it out of the park. And it was a stark contrast. Governor McKee is, listen, he's not, he's not old. Uh, he's older, but he's certainly not, you know, young um he was stumbling a little bit he had trouble blake Filippi, the house minority leader who was rumored to maybe be running for governor rumored maybe running for langevin seat he's saying so far unless it changes he's not running for either but he delivered i think the best republican response i've ever seen it was uh it was well measured it wasn't just a bash governor mckee it was um very pointed but he delivered it brilliantly he is um he just has good command. The camera, you know, loves him. He, you could tell he had been practicing. He was good with just his gestures. It was a really, it was a strong contrast to Governor McKee because Blake Filippi, you know, he's a young guy in his early 40s, uh, well-groomed, good-looking guy, and he delivered a very impassioned response. Respectful, but strong response. So I don't think that played well for the governor i may play some of that coming up in um, just a little bit but i did want to mention there is a um just a devastating story about the rhode island healthcare system in today's washington post now this is a national publication and this is the type of thing that governor mckee uh whether he realizes or not when something happens in the state he's the governor you can't just shrug it off uh he's no longer the mayor where you say well i'm the mayor of cumberland i don't have to worry about that no you're the governor and so when something like this hits, this is a brutal Washington Post, and it's a story where they spent a day at Kent Hospital. And I just want to read some of it this to you, folks. You're going to be hearing more about this. But it's the Washington Post. Miri Balsic's nightmare was coming to an end. The coronavirus-positive woman spent 10 hours sitting with other infected patients in a small emergency department meeting room before healthcare workers were able to find a bed for her in tiny room 25. Now, 36 hours after she arrived, she's 70 years old, about to move upstairs where she belonged to a bed on a floor inside Kent Hospital. In a nearby hallway, five people sat in chairs, one man drinking tea, quietly talking to himself. Two elderly women lay on gurneys in another corridor. The patient room 28 needed to be moved to intensive care. There was no bed available. This is what a slow day looks like 
in a hospital emergency department overwhelmed by the virus. Kent Hospital in Warwick, where you have Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. On other days, healthcare workers have drawn blood. Listen to this. This is, folks, Rhode Island, this is third world. Drawn blood from patients as they sat in their cars. Set up intravenous drips in the packed waiting room or shunned patients to the overflow tent outside. There was simply no other choice, no other space, far too few staff. Either I take care of someone in their car or I don't get to take care of them at all. Either I take care of them in the waiting room or, or they don't get care at all, said Laura Foreman, director of Kent Hospital's emergency department. Or they wait 10 hours for care. We have people wait 10 hours or 12 hours to be seen. If you're here for an emergency, that's not tenable. Obviously, there was no mention of this last night in Governor McKee's State of the State. The pandemic's fifth surge is putting emergency departments under enormous stress. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're struggling. And again, they go back to Kent. They, she's urging people, do all they can. Avoid seeking emergency care. Now is not the time to take up a new sport. Don't go skiing. Don't shovel uh now is not time to break an ankle take your medication do all the preventive things you can do possibly keep yourself out of the hospital right now now that's the woman in charge of the emergency department at kent hospital so last thursday the washington post spent an afternoon in kent kent hospital warwick rhode island overburdened emergency department this tiny state of 1.1 million recorded 5,000 new cases infections 488 per 10 100,000 residents highest rate in the country According to the seven-day average, there were um, nationally there were 800,000 new cases. At nearly 78% fully vaccinated, Rhode Island's much better than average. Foreman has not seen a single vaccinated person die in the current surge. So it goes back into uh, Kent Hospital, medium-sized community hospital. 144 patients were seen in the emergency department Thursday. About 30 had developed COVID-19. Others had various things that can't be ignored chest pain appendicitis broken bones gallbladder must be removed or allergic reaction to the dye used in cat scan through a, a scrum of healthcare workers restored a patient's breathing ambulances arrived in steady stream before the pandemic doctors nurses respiratory therapists others were on top of this staff and space were tight but adequate for the most part there were beds in the hospital those who needed them from 2016-2019, Kent's emergency department closed its waiting room. Every patient was seen within minutes, and the space was considered over, you know, not needed. <clears throat> um, boom, boom, boom. About 20% of patients who register at the front window tire, 20% now, 2 out of 10, tire the long wait and leave without being seen. 2 out of 10, about 20%. <sighs> wow. That's that's high. In a 2018 survey, uh, Center for CDC found 43% of the nation's 130 um, million emergency patients were seen by a doctor, nurse, physician assistant in less than 15 minutes, and 30% were seen in less than an hour. At Kent Hospital, it's 12 to 15 hour wait. Vaccines among Kent nursing staff had reached 50% at times, as burned out nurses have quit, others fallen ill with COVID. Governor McKee put forward a vaccine mandate October 1st that started the rapid decline of the state's health care system. There are emergency department shifts where five nurses are working instead of the 15 who should be on duty. Patients wait a lot longer. They wait for pain medicine. They wait for antibiotics. They wait for their food. There's no one to notice right away if something happens. The former triage area, small conference room where patients' families were given bad news privately, has been converted to whole patients. Sometimes there is no one to staff the overflow tent erected outside the emergency room door. Caregivers are forced to make difficult choices among patients rather than treating them all. The medically stable, including COVID patients, are stashed somewhere until a doctor or nurse can see them or even sent home when doctors would like to keep them for more care. A lot of best bad decisions are being made. There's a lot of making to do. There's a lot of doing something that you understand. It's not right, but it's the best option you have. And there's a sense of failure all the time. Stanley Lomas. Folks, again, this is Washington Post National Publication, Ken Hospital in Warwick. Stanley Lomas, 69, suffered a previous heart attack, was whisked back to a bed seen by emergency physician when he arrived by ambulance with chest pains. The uh, woman, the physician, spoke with him, concluded he was stable. 
Nurse went over his list of medications. Technician began setting up an x-ray. The other woman, Belseric, in contrast, endured a nearby nearly two-day odyssey through the emergency department. She's vaccinated but decided to put off for a booster shot till after the holidays. A diabetic, she tried to ride out a fever of 103, muscle aches, severe diarrhea at home. But when her blood oxygen level slid to 84%, doctor told her to seek emergency care. For 10 hours, she and other COVID patients sat in the small room with little attention from staff. No one spoke. They were all too ill with COVID. They sit you in that room with no facilities. You sit and wonder, why did I come in if this is so dangerous and scary? Uh, for the country we live in, this is not acceptable. Well, President Biden announced he's sending 1,000 military medical personnel to overwhelm hospitals in six states, including Rhode Island, the only state in New England. Folks, what a disaster. Kent is scheduled to receive 14 of the new staff. On Thursday, there were only enough medical personnel to staff 199 of the hospitals, 359 licensed beds. With space there at a premium, emergency department patients who must be hospitalized wait days for a bed to open, even in intensive care. They take the spots that should go to walk-ins, who as a consequence must be seen wherever they can put them. The holding pattern is known as boarding, an unwanted feature of emergency care across the United States long before the pandemic. On Thursday, 20 of the Kent Hospital Emergency Department's 43 medical beds were occupied by boarders, relatively small number. On Monday, there were only six beds open for newcomers. Our, our ER, one doctor said, has become a floor ward. At times, it houses more admitted patients than any other unit in the hospital. Triage units with people laying on gurneys and hallways are very common. Otherwise, they ship them out to the tent outside connected to the emergency room, although there's no one running it. They have performed medical procedures in the triage beds at the front of the emergency department. Oh, my God. Including a recent cardioversion to restore a patient's normal heart rhythm. It was safe to do so, but not appropriate care. The triage area is for triaging, not treating. Staff shortages create other problems. The routine activities of a hospital occur more slowly when there are not enough people to perform them. Lab tests, food delivery, cleanup all take longer. Elective procedures have been paused. Certain days it's impossible to get an MRI or ultrasound. But patients keep coming to emergency departments everywhere. We're seeing people have acute emergencies, ranging to people who feel they're there for the routine tests. They can't get routine tests anywhere. Uh, everything's backing up. This one doctor's delivered emergency care in Bosnia, Nicaragua, and others and said it rivals that. Ah. She helped the state open a field hospital for the patient's overflow during the surge in December 2020 and January 2021. This year, there's no field hospital. She knows her decimated staff cannot keep this up forever. Some are badly traumatized, weeping in her office, unable to continue. A couple of years ago, we thought we'd do this for a couple of months. You can do anything for a couple of months. But now we've had to do it for a couple of years. Listen to this. She has stopped asking patients whether they're vaccinated. It was the only way she could figure out how to avoid the anger and resentment she felt when treating people whose choice represents a dire threat to her and her colleagues. Karen Newsom, 40 respiratory therapist, considered quitting in September after 20 years at Kent. In the end, she decided to stay. This is what I do. It's my passion. We're all in this together. Folks, this is, um, again, last night, you know, Governor McKee, we're going to be giving out money to this, and we're going to be giving out money to that, and we're going to be giving this to the illegals, and we're going to put down payments down so state house insiders can uh, start to buy property and not have you worry about the down payment, and we're going to have the unions build $500 million schools so that way uh, they all the union people will be working. Nothing about health care. Nothing about health care last night. Nothing about the state. of. The, you want to know the state of the state? The state of the state? It's the crime. It's the situation with our hospitals. All of these things Governor McKee promising last night with his big state of the state. Yeah, take a drive to Kent Hospital. And by the way, Rhode Island Hospital, Rhode Island Hospital is on par and just as bad, if not worse. Now, remember, the teams that President Biden, that the, the national medical disaster relief teams 
that the Biden administration is sending into Rhode Island, they're primarily going to Rhode Island Hospital. What I just described for you is a story in the Washington Post about Kent Hospital in Warwick. The situation at Rhode Island Hospital is worse than the one at Kent. That is the true state of the state. All right, a lot ahead, plus President Biden later today, his first press briefing of the new year. We're going to detail that and a lot more right here on the John DePietro Show. Make Henry Oil your oil provider this winter. Give them a call today. Call Henry Oil, 401-521-0200, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, serving most of Rhode Island and southeastern Mass, automatic delivery, budget plans, service contracts, lock and cap pricing. You can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401 521 Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery. Fuel, fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery, residential and commercial. It's Henry Oil. Give them a call. Since 1947, you can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today. Make Henry Oil your oil provider. 401 521 Remember, online at henryoil.com. Go with the original, go with the best. It's Henry Oil. Show, show weekdays. We start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, petro.com. Joining us right now, he's a columnist with the Boston Globe. It's Dan McGowan. And uh, Dan McGowan and uh, folks, and we, we will be telling you how you can receive Roadmap each day. It's free. It's an email to your inbox. It's a lot of information, links to stories you can get. And uh, Dan McGowan, I, I think you uh, do a very good job laying out, which in, in some ways, it almost kind of eclipses the race for governor as potentially the biggest political story of the year. And, and that is the fact that yesterday, Rhode Island Congressman uh, Jim Langevin announced that he's not going to be seeking reelection. Yeah, John, I've been looking forward for the last 24 hours to talking to you because I think this is <laughs> fun to, to go over this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it upends, you know, Rhode Island politics for the year. You're, I think you're right. You know, the governor's race is still going to be really sexy and it's going to be something that's going to, you know, there's going to be lots of money spent. It's going to be very interesting. But look, these seats do not come open very often. The last time is 2010. And if you think about it before that, you got to go into the 90s, um, you know for the, the, the open seats or, or for Langevin's last, you know, first run, you know, for this job, um, you know, when it comes to these open seats in Congress. And so uh, it, it has been a really long time. And I think it, it really sets off a lot of, you know, interesting possibilities. And I think especially so because unlike if it were the first congressional district or if it were, or even the statewide governor's race where, you know, Rhode Island is, you know, happens to be so blue and the Democrats own so much of this state. When it comes to the second congressional district, this is a very winnable race for the Republican candidates. So I think it means it, it suddenly means you have two really viable parties here. Um, and, and, you know, we can go over the list. But I think you're going to see lots of really interesting names, um, you know, on, on both sides of the aisle running for this seat. Dan McGowan, you spoke with Congressman Lindman. Let's start off with um, it certainly caught, you know, really the political scene, everyone by surprise. How do you think they kept it pretty, pretty guarded secret? There were definitely some clues out there with some people that were hinting there might be some changes. But uh, ultimately, what, what I find surprising is he seemingly admitted to you that he's willing to do something else, but he doesn't want to do this so i i i always say that there's there's the reason they tell people why they're not running and then there's the real reason why they're they're not running i'm just i'm just that way but what, what are your thoughts on just the how he came to the decision not to run yeah i mean you know one of the things that in talking to him yesterday that i thought was really interesting was you know he, he admitted he said he went back and forth on this a whole lot um you know and he he confirmed um, you know, maybe not for the first time, but but confirmed, you know, he very seriously considered running for governor, especially when it looked like, um, you know, there was a potential for losing a seat in Congress. Then they, you know, you find out that Rhode Island's going to keep its seat. And so it looks like 
well, he's probably protected for a really long time. And he said over the holidays, he really started to kind of step back and think about it. I'll tell you this, and I wrote a column about this separately. Um, I think that there's a real chance that he'll make a run for the the president of Rhode Island College. Yep. Um, I think that's a, a it's an open spot right now. You know, he's a Rick alum. He's probably one of the most famous Rick alum. Um, you know, in, in that crowd, and I think there's lots of signals that suggest okay that 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 he can do this so i think that makes life easier for him i mean he couldn't have been more clear I, you, you always have the uh, the uncomfortable question when it comes to jim langevin and i just flat out asked him i said are, you know how, how are you health wise and he said i'm you know i'm as good as i can be given all the circumstances and um i want to do something else i will do something else to me that suggests uh, uh president rick is something that you should, you know, be paying close attention to, but no doubt about it, John, this was a massive surprise. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you were hearing this yesterday. We started to get tips pretty early in the day yesterday, yep. but I, I'll tell you this, I didn't hear anything before that. And maybe no. I'm not a good uh, journalist, but I didn't hear anything. The only thing somebody said to me that was interesting, and this was after I started hearing the rumors, they said, no, he didn't. He didn't send out any real fundraising um, letters to people in the last quarter of 2021. That's that can sometimes be a sign. Uh, whereas you know, Cicilline's always fundraising. But again, you know, I think I think he also probably thought, look, I've got enough money and I'm going to be fine. So um, you know, the, the, you're right. I think there were a few warning signs, but uh, this seemed relatively quickly, and, uh, and he kept it very quiet. I mean, that shows you one thing about Jim Langevin is his inner circle um, is as tight and sneaky as most other offices, uh, I think, in the state of Rhode Island. Without question. And I, I was hearing that someone that deals with the camp quite a bit. Pan, the pandemic, listen, it, it was tough on him. Um, the fact that it hasn't gone away, you know, yep. listen, his health, they've really had to keep him under wraps. Yep. If he came down with COVID, that's... You know, that's that's a very serious situation. And now two years ago, you and I covered it. Dylan Conley did challenge him. Um, were you hearing of a progressive that was maybe going to emerge to challenge him to a primary this year? You know, it's funny. We asked Dylan Conley this yesterday and he said he wasn't at all thinking about another run. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, Jim Langevin has always faced sort of the heat from the left. Yeah. Um, you know, going years, you know, Jen Lawless, uh, what was it, Betsy Denigan for a little while. There was yep. always that chance of the thought that, oh, maybe someone from the left. But I, I don't think he was really um, too concerned. And, and by the way, it shows you now. I mean, it's not as though as we start to talk about who might run for these jobs, it's not as though some clear, you know, progressive hopeful is the, you know, is starting out as a, you know, leading contender. I mean, we're, I think there are more Republicans who have a viable shot than, you know, folks, uh, you know, on the far left. So, I think he would have been fine. I don't think he was worried about a primary. Uh, you know, look, gets to go out on his own terms, gets to go out with the good graces of everybody. He'll he'll be celebrated for the next year in Congress. I think he'll get plenty of, obviously, attention here in Rhode Island and, and potentially still have some, you know, a, a more in the tank going forward. Now, Dan McGowan, let's go through um, even Congressman Langevin. Let's, you, you have in roadmap uh, the most extensive list I've seen Let's start off on the Democrat side with potentially someone that may run for that, and that's current House Speaker Joe Sakachi. Yeah, I mean, I think this race goes through Joe Sakachi. What I mean by that is, uh, until he decides what he wants to do, uh, you know, I think you'll have lots of talk, and you might have people announce in the race. But the race, you know, if Joe Sakachi wants to run, look, he's he's a charismatic guy. He's very good at the like the political inside game. He's an incredible fundraiser. I think Joe Shikarchi would start out as the favorite if he were to run. Uh, the thing is, is you know, he's the most powerful person in Rhode Island, uh, or politician, certainly. He really likes being a powerful politician. Yeah. You know, he, he, uh, he, there, there's always that path one day, potentially, to be the governor of Rhode Island. You, know, you could do that from being speaker. And so does he want to go and go to Washington 
be a freshman, potentially with the Republicans taking over the House? Does he want to be a minority congressman? Kind of having to, you know, you, you know, it's the, 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 the dirty little secret in Rhode Island politics is, you know, everyone has to wait for whatever Jack Reed wants to do, right? Yep. They, they all have to wait in line. He would be fourth in that line. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas right now he runs the show in Rhode Island politics. So I think he starts as the favorite if he runs. But I think he has a lot of thinking to do uh, uh, before he makes that decision. Yeah. And, uh, and on top of that, it's um, listen, uh, President Biden right now has very low approval ratings. And unless something changes, uh, the Democrats, they're going to lose the House. So now you're really at the back That's right. of the bench. And then you're the, the junior congressman. I, I'm not convinced that, that that he's the one that that makes the move. I think he has settled into a, a good uh, position, and he certainly seemingly has developed a good working relationship with both the Senate president and also Governor McKee. But getting back to Congressman Langevin, Dan McGowan, I, I think also, I, I think if, um, you know, we were, as you know, we were poised to lose the seat, and he had hinted a while ago he was going to make a run for governor, but Gina Raimondo leaving early, Dan McKee taking over, holding on to the seat, I, I think that eliminated his yep. his his run for governor. But who else now? And you go through the list of some uh, pretty extensive people. I, I, I want to explore a moment. Boy, Blake Flippy, we'll get to Governor McKee, but boy, he really, that's the first time. And, you know, it was pretty a stark contrast where you had Governor McKee give his his state of the state. And, and you know, you had mentioned... It's not as easy as it looks, and people think it is using the teleprompter. You you saw it last night, Governor McKee in the very beginning. He, you know, that could have gone sideways really, really quickly. But boy, what a stark contrast when Blake Filippi stepped up there, and it was covered on ten, twelve, and six. And a lot of people didn't know who he was. I was getting messages: "Who is this guy?" <laughs> I mean, it was just it was a really stark contrast between Filippi and Governor McKee. Yeah, well, if Blake Filippi hit a home run last night, yeah. uh, I, I think without question. And, you know, you're right. Look, for you guys like you and I and a lot of your listeners, certainly a lot of my readers, you know, we know who Blake Flippy is in general, right? House minority leader, flirted with a run for governor. You know the basics about him. Uh, but I think last night was a little bit of a coming out party for him. Uh, yeah. He came across as confident and pretty rational, quite frankly, right? It was This was not a let's just throw com- like bomb after bomb at the you know, at the, the, the party in power. I thought he made coherent points. Uh, he was smart. And, you know, he, 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 he decided against running for governor. I think he could look at this race now, though, and say, again, it's, it's the 2nd Congressional District tends to be, uh, you know, a, a more conservative district. He would be a very attractive candidate um, if he wanted to run. Um, I think I think he opened a lot of doors last night. Again, you know, it's not like the state of the state gets, you know, 20 t- uh, TV rating. It's not like a lot of people pay that close attention. But this is the first time some people, yeah, you're turning the jeopardy and you see Blake Filippi on television. I mean, that's kind of how this works. And he's a good looking guy. He's smart, yep. charismatic. He can he's wealthy. So, he, you know, he he certainly has a, a bright future in politics. Um, you know, I think he's going to have to take a real strong look at, at, at this race um, because, again, you know, the difference between him and, and there are many, but the difference between him and somebody like Joe Shikarchi is, you know, you're the House minority leader of, you know, a handful of people, right? You're not that powerful when you're the Republican minority leader in Rhode Island. You go to Congress potentially, by the way, like we said, with the Republicans taking over. Um, you know, you're going to have a ton of, of influence. You suddenly jump above a Cicilline. You jump, you know, even Jack Reed will be very, will, will always be influential. But, you you know, you, you potentially jump ahead of a Sheldon Whitehouse yeah. in terms of influence. And remember, once you're there, we learned this back in, what was it, 06 with Link Chafee. Once you're there, the Republicans will, it is incumbent protection, right? The, the Republican Party will will you know coalesce behind you they'll spend money they will do what they can to try to keep you there um it suddenly opens up a world of opportunity so i think blake flippy will, ta- will take a strong look and i think he'd be a strong candidate you think about it Dan McGowan. if he was planning on running for governor of congress 
boy, last night, talk about the timing of then making your announcement. And then, you know, that's why I imagine him at the end saying, and this is why I want to be your governor. Yeah. And uh, he did almost everything except for that. (laughs) He did. Folks, quick break. A lot more. Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus. For heating and cooling, call Propane Plus today in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. In Rhode Island, Propane Plus number 401-885-4209. It's the Johnson family. It's Propane Plus, the leading full-service provider of propane to Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries, but they can service your entire heating, cooling system, and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and also now it's renewable. Online at propaneplus.com. Propane Plus, heating and cooling. In Massachusetts, call the Rehoboth office, 508 252 3359. In Rhode Island, 401 401- 885-4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. We're speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Dan, I want to stay with the Langevin race just for a moment. You don't, right now, you don't think it, it shakes up the race for governor as far as maybe someone coming out of that race and, and jumping in. Helena Folks lives in CB2 yep. down in Narragansett. Obviously, her campaign is not I don't think it's taken off the way maybe she thought it would. But Nellie Gobea lives in North Kingstown. She was the first one they looked at. I saw you wrote that Seth Magazine, it doesn't matter because he he lives in CD1 on the on the east side. But um, you don't – I'm just wondering your opinion. You don't think anyone jumps out and says maybe this is the better race. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There, There's what I – you know, you can only take people's word, you know, when it comes Understood. to this. And we reached out to everybody and everybody says, no, no, no I'm staying put. So I, I suppose in fairness to them, that's what they say. Politically, the, per, the person in me who understands Rhode Island politics, I think this is a, a wide open – yeah. Uh, a situation for yes, a, a, a Nelly Gorbea who you know is, is you know feels very strongly of that that she's a, a strong contender in this race uh, for governor, but suddenly becomes I don't know the favorite if not for Joe Shikarchi if she were to run you know Helena folks uh, I was saying to somebody just just before you and I started talking John you know if you were to create a hypothetical candidate if this seat were open and we didn't know who Helena folks was you'd say boy an independently wealthy executive former cbs yeah. person uh, attractive woman you know candidate she sounds like a great candidate i yeah. think she you know i think she could suddenly kind of do a reset also by the way you know federal policy is something she's probably stronger with than 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 rhode island uh, you know, issues, right? She understands the opioid stuff, all that. That's that's a lot of federal stuff that she, healthcare, a lot of stuff she'd have to think about. Um, and then Seth Magaziner, yeah, I mean, to be clear, Seth lives in Providence. He's in the first congressional district. The reason it doesn't matter is because you can run for Congress anywhere. You, you know, there, somebody could run for Congress uh, living anywhere in the state. That's just the way it, it works. So he could run no matter where he lives. He also has the money certainly to move anywhere he wants, um, if he wanted to say he lived in the district. And again, he suddenly becomes, uh, he's a great fundraiser. I, uh, you know, I think Ira Magaziner, his father, would probably tell him, hey, this is worth a look. So, I, yep. you know, they all say right now they're not going to do this. I would be surprised if they didn't at least start to think, you know, okay, let's let's just, you know, it, it, you're doing your due diligence as a candidate, right? What, right. Is the, what is the seat that, you know, potentially I can win? And they're so far out ahead when it comes to just organization and fundraising. Yep. Um, you know, they, they could all be potential candidates. Right now they say they want to be the governor. Uh, as far as – see, Bob, Bob Wigan moved to North Kingstown and, and uh, run for that seat. Yep. That was the Bob Wigan seat. And then when he made the run, uh, I, I had a debate with Wigan and Chafee uh, in studio. I had a debate with actually Bob Wigan and even Richard Leach. And I meant to mention – Somewhere I have photos of I did my first 
I think one of the first debates I did actually, as I think of it, but um, I did a Langevin, Langevin debate with Angel Tavares at Warwick Mall when he wow. first, uh, won that seat. That would have um, been 2000, right? Was that, that, that year, yeah, right? I have photos of that somewhere. But Dan McGowan, looking to the Republican side, I was speaking with a Republican candidate yesterday and some things that are attractive about the Langevin seat. If you're a Republican now, is you have no east side of Providence. Yep. You have no Pawtucket. You have no Central Falls. You have no East Providence. You have no Newport. Uh, you do have parts of Providence, yep, but not the East Side where so many votes are buried. You don't have to deal with Cicilline. I believe the person now. Granted, I I had Bob Lancey around yesterday. He feels like he said the jackpot. Yep. He ran last time and so forth. But I think the person that would be, I believe, a very strong candidate is former Cranston Mayor Alan Funk. I couldn't agree more. I think yeah. Alan. Is, I think he is. Uh, you know, it's funny. Another another question somebody asked me yesterday is, uh, per, you know, who do you think uh, is sort of believes it is their turn in Rhode Island politics? Right? Yep, they, I like that. If if there's anybody in Rhode Island politics who could make the claim that it is their turn, yep. it happens to be a Republican. It's Alan yep. Fung, who you know who who you know had two tough gubernatorial races, but popular Mayor Cranston. Here's the thing. There are a lot of listeners that, that you have that would say, oh, like, you know, you know he's a moderate, he, you know, he's, he, but he, the, the thing about Alan Fung and the thing about any candidate in this race, especially a Republican primary, which would be, you know, a smaller uh, voter turnout, it, all that matters is having a base. And Alan yeah. Fung has a strong base in Cranston. Alan Fung could essentially win the race simply from being the strong candidate in, in it is yeah. like David Cicilline on the east side of Providence in some ways, yep. right? And so, you know, he—I I think he—I think he would be a very strong candidate. Something it's worth taking a, a strong look at it. And I joked with him as I was as I wrote the column a couple of weeks ago, saying he should run for governor. I—I I, I was joking with him about how you know, <laughs> treasurer doesn't seem that interesting. Do you really want to do this? Congress is very interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, it becomes it's a, it's you know you, you get to fly in and out. It, it just it's a lot more interesting. Alan's a well-liked guy. I think he would be a very viable candidate. I think Barbara Ann Fenton, Fung, uh, obviously they're not going to run against each other. Take a look at it. If Alan did. Um, so I Mayor think that- Fung, he, he, he would be the first Asian uh, congressional person from Rhode Island. Uh, it also, yep. you know, the Massachusetts has no Republican in, in Congress. So now you're even like kind of a you're New England figure. Regionally but, relevant. Absolutely. Yeah, in, but in 2018, though, he won Cranston. He 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 did lose Warwick, but but it was Gina Raimondo that he right. lost Warwick to. And and uh, but he did win Coventry, which pulls a lot of votes. He won West Warwick. Um, again, a big attraction of that. Can you imagine if you're Cranston Maryland Fung in the general, if you're going for CD2, if you win Cranston, Warwick, North Kingstown, North Kingstown could be in play. He barely yep. loves that. But if you can pull Coventry, West Warwick, I, you know, you're more than halfway there. Cranston, you, Warwick are the battles right there. You, you also become, and by the way, in, go look at his numbers in Republican primaries, 14 and 18 in Cranston and Warwick overwhelmingly was successful yes. right so so he, you know he's good through a primary in, in many ways the other thing is you know and people underestimate this but look when you go to when you when you're on that debate stage when you're running for congress the truth is there are very few politicians local politicians who really understand sort of you know national and international politics it does kind of take somebody who, you know, can can go on the fly, can make it up as they go along. I don't mean that, you know, negatively. I just mean somebody who can talk well. Uh, we saw Brendan Doherty really struggled with that, you know, oh, yeah. when he ran against Cicilline. Alan Fung knows how to do this. You know, he gets on a debate stage and he doesn't know about, you know, something he can he can pivot. You're going to see a lot of candidates in that race who are going to pretend like they know everything about, you know, universal basic income but then beyond the first you know the talking point they're not going to know anything alan fung is good on his feet uh that matters as well and also damon gone before we take a break um we, and, and actually before we take the break who are some of the progressives that you think could could take a serious look at this does does mayor alorza 
look at this, uh, that maybe this is a race that interests him? So everybody I talked to in his camp, you know, kitchen table type people yesterday said, no way. Is you know he's already, and I don't know, I don't have details on this, but already sort of lining up his next you know project or next idea for for work. Um, you know, wants to raise his his young son. Uh, you know, does does not find that job particularly attractive. All of that okay. being said, look, he's he's the mayor of the capital city, lots of money, has the name recognition. I think he'll have to at least go through the exercise of looking at it. Um, and then I think you go into a lot of, you know, look, you go much, de- you know, much lesser known people. You go into uh, the Providence state Senator, Sam Bell told me yesterday, he's going to take a strong look at it. Uh, you know, isn't widely known, but is, you know, a smart guy who, ha- you know, has enthusiastic support within that kind of far left community. Um, I think state Senator Josh Miller, uh, you know, a- another guy who's a progressive, except also a business guy, right. Owns the hot club, owns Trinity yeah. brew house. He's a guy who's been kind of waiting his turn to do something else. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to take, he told me he's going to take a look at it. So, you know, he potentially could be a progressive worth watching. Uh, I, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see even more. I mean, I have a list in roadmap today of probably 20 names. I think yeah. you're going to see, I think there are probably 20 more who are listening to us right now and saying, how come I'm not on the list? I think um, if a progressive wins that race, which in a Democrat big field primary, I would think the could crowd's going to shift left. That also could benefit if there were a Republican candidate in, uh, in, in as far as on the Republican side. I agree. Um, Dan McGowan, quick break. A lot more, folks, with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe right here on the John DePietro Show. Brothers Disposal. Call Brothers Disposal today. Get a purple dumpster for your driveway how do you know it's brother's disposal because it's a purple dumpster look for them on facebook and give them a call for an estimate 401-688-0517 get a dumpster in your driveway maybe you're cleaning out your basement your garage unwanted belongings maybe you just have some things in boxes that you've never taken out clean it out with brother's disposal they're also now offering weekly trash collection services call brother roland today at brother's disposal 401 401- 688-0517 whether it's a small household construction project or you just need a dumpster to get rid of some unwanted belongings call brother's disposal today come on brother call brother's disposal 401-688-0517 look for them on facebook brother's disposal get a dumpster in your driveway 401-688-0517 we're speaking with dan mcgowan of the boston globe Dan, last night was either Governor McKee's first state of the state or his first and last state of the state. Um, what, what, what did you know? What did what did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I think he struggled, which I kind of expected. There was low expectations when it came to the delivery. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I talked. He it, is it, who he is. Yeah, he right. He, he is, is what he is. is. He's a guy who who you know who wasn't going to do a ton of practice off the teleprompter and that sort of thing. He's not Barack Obama, right? Um, I will give him credit. I, he had a couple of interesting ideas in there. Wants to make a big investment in housing, which is attractive on a number of levels, right? It's it's one of those things that it's not just about you know an issue that people care about. It's a jobs creator, right? It's it's what the you the trades unions really love to hear because it's more money going into you know people they represent. So I think he's got an interesting idea there. You know, he he wants to kind of tackle higher education. He talked a little bit about that. Um, you know, I, I think he did what, you know, what I basically what I expected out of him. What he didn't do is, you know, he had a, I think he had a real chance to, you know, kind of reset a narrative. If you remember a couple of years ago, you know, one of Gina Raimondo's best state of the state addresses, um, I think, was the year she, she rolled out the free college. Right. Yeah. A, a year where. You know, that at the time was a pretty novel concept, particularly for when, on, a, on a statewide basis. And whether it was popular or unpopular, you know, she was able to make everything about this is my plan. It's very sticky, free college. It's something people understood. And, you know, she leaned into it and then managed to follow through and get it done. What we didn't see from Dan McKee last night was, oh, I, I you know, I tuned in for 20 minutes watching that speech. What is he about? What what do I know him for right now? Right. You just know him as the guy who's always talking about COVID still. 
and I, you know he he wants nothing he he probably wants nothing to do with covid at this point i think he did um i think he did the best he could that is and i don't mean that to sound derogatory or critical i i think that that's he doesn't put a lot into it that's that's who he is I yep. tell you, he, you know he's not looking as you said he's not looking to knock it out of the park i i don't think Governor Raimondo, what just a huge difference the way she would have practiced, mastered it, delivered that, and then the way he did. Dean McGowan, I'm just curious, what do you think of Governor McKee that's certainly a suspect towards the media, his feeling the day after that the, the three, you know, three television stations ran Blake Fullerby <laughs> immediately following him, who totally then, you know, went after and took shots at Governor McKee. I think he just reinforces this, that he can't trust the media. Oh, I think that's right. I, I, I'm sure <laughs> that he's he's cringing at that idea. Uh, and by the way, especially, again, can't say enough. We, we talked about this off the top. Can't say enough about Blake Filippi. It wasn't just that the, that, you know, the Republican response was aired. It was from a guy who is charismatic, is really yeah. good at this. He practiced clearly. Yes. Um, and so, you know, uh, the, the kind of the memorable points of that of last night come a little bit more from Blake Flippy than they do from Governor McKee. So, yeah, I think I'm sure he's not particularly thrilled with the way it was covered last night. With the exit of Dr. Scott, you and I had been talking about this, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott. Finally, last week is when it came down. I, 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 boy, I think the governor had a really bad Thursday. He did one interview at the end of the day. It looked like he had been mugged or had been changing a tire or been beaten up. Um, last night, she was there. He recognized her. She stood up. How, how, what surprised you about how she did finally exit? Well, it's funny. I, I think the thing that surprised me the most was it comes across as though she put in her two weeks and said, I'm out like like you or I at a, at a, right. you know, at a job in media or, or at Burger King or something. Right now, from the reporting that I've done, just asking around, my understanding is this has been in the works for a little while. The governor was aware of it. And that, that that's the strangest part of this, that you know, she was she was she was preparing her exit, but the governor's office made it sound like it was a you know they gave us more of a reason than we already had to ask the number one question, which was what was the final straw, um, and and I think that was a, a major problem. Now I don't know that there was a final straw. I think this was a drip drip drip. I think she was legitimately very tired. I think if she could do it all over again, she probably would have left in the summer when it looked like things were yeah. going better. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that there's there's more than a little bit of truth to the, the idea that they did clash. They didn't see eye to eye. And so, it, you know, it's hard for, I think the governor struggles here because I think the governor does know that the right thing to do is to send her on her way and, you know, praise her. And last night they did the standing ovation. The problem is, is everyone kind of knows they didn't really like each other, so it doesn't feel quite as authentic as maybe it should. Now, Dan McGowan, as far as COVID, your colleague, and again, folks, it's Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Boy, Brian Amaral, those Boston Globe stories about what it's like at Rhode Island Hospital and the fact, hey, and let's remember, you know, this week is when the COVID emergency Biden, you know, we're one of only six states, only six states, yeah. only state in New England where they're arriving this week. Uh, Governor McKee announced he's keeping the mask mandate for another another month. He got Dan McGowan, you know, Governor McKee, we are certainly in no way out of the whole COVID nightmare that we've been dealing with for the past month. No. And, you know, these things, the John, you've seen this over the years with many different groups of folks. Let's use you know, one thing you and I have always talked about is, you know, when when the te- when teachers are mad at an administration or a superintendent, they have a really in- intelligent, clever way of making things out to be the worst possible scenario, right? That that's when you see in Providence dripping, you know, water in the classroom and all these things, and you know, everything goes from you know five ten, and it just be- it becomes very loud. Same thing happens, you know, with firefighters. The same game kind of is being played here with the nurses um, and, and folks in, in these hospitals, right? It's, it, you, you start to hear these horror stories about what's happening. The thing is that it, it's much more 
uh, I think, relevant and meaningful because we've all had, you know, a loved one or ourselves in the hospital. We know the stress that, you know, that comes with. And so you you read about some of these kind of horror stories about people having to wait and, you know, people being the nurses and the doctors being completely exhausted, not knowing what to do. Um, it, it just it's much more meaningful than kind of noise on Twitter and a lot of other issues. So. Uh, I think it's very relevant. Like you said, my colleague Brian Emerald has been covering this a lot um, and and it's not going away. That's the problem, you know, even with some resources coming in, I I don't think this is I think this is a situation that lasts into the summer um, as opposed to, you know, ending next week. What surprised me with uh, some of the stories is the amount of people in the medical profession willing to go on the record where most of the time they, know. they tend not to want to do that. Hey, I want to share with you just two quick things is um, it was 2010 right around there. I don't remember exactly, but I had a guest in studio. It was mayor of Providence, David Cicilline. He was explaining to me why he didn't want to run for governor. And while he was in studio, Bill Haberman broke in with the news that Patrick Kennedy was not going to seek re-election. Wow. Right there. And his eyes lit up like, (laughs) wow, that's something I'd want. The other thing was I had uh, Bill Lynch in studio and he was kind of hinting that he was going to take a shot at it. And he believed he said, there's no way Cicilline, all that money he has, you can't use it for a congressional race. And then I think he totally got thrown off the way Sicily did the, the check exchange. You hand a check, yeah. you get a check back, and then you give it back for the campaign. That is something that Joe Sakachi would have to deal with, Speaker Sakachi, if he, he wanted to run. He does have a lot of money. It's you a, do actually kind of have it, to do that where you're like exchanging envelopes with people. It is an, it's a it's a daunting task. I talked to is. I talked to a person who was involved with the you know, the Cicilline effort back in 2010. And it literally means for folks out there, let's say you got a million dollars in your campaign account in Rhode Island. You have to go back to every donor. You have to refund them with a check and then convince them to reissue that check to a different campaign account. Um, Now you can do it when you're David Cicilline, who was kind of a favorite in that race. I think Joe Shikarchi would have the operation to do it. Here's where it's a problem. If you're the mayor of Providence, if you're Jorge Alorza, has a million bucks, could in theory do this, but you go back to your donor who's given a thousand to Shikarchi and and he's given a thousand to Nelly Gorbeo, whoever else. And the person says, you know, I'll take that thousand dollars and just put it back in my pocket. Right. Sorry, mayor. You know, I don't think you're going to win this one. It's really easy when you're the front runner. It's incredibly difficult when you're not, uh, you know, when you're not perceived as a, as the ideal candidate. Now folks, you hear me mention this quite a bit roadmap. Um, And I start each day with it. Dan McGowan gets it. It's all links. By the way, also, I like the fact you're also colleague Dan Shaughnessy. He wrote a great piece on the awkwardness of what, yes. what happened with the Patriots when, when your son, when the sons of the defensive coordinators, he was the only one to write about that. We was the it was the topic of discussion uh, Saturday, excuse me, Sunday, and then Monday in the Petro household. I was glad to see it. But Dan McGowan, folks, listen up because right now, just jot this down. You can get it starting to, I believe, tomorrow. Dan McGowan, how can people get roadmap? Yeah, easiest thing in the world, completely free. Like you know, you get all the stuff John and I talk about. And you get to read it, you know, from from the luxury of your bed when you wake up in the morning or, you know, when you're in line at the coffee shop, just send me a blank email to rinews at globe.com. You don't have to write anything else. rinews at globe.com. And you'll start getting it first thing tomorrow morning. One final word, your column about uh, Congressman Landrieu, maybe president of Rhode Island College. At Rhode Island College, I ran the radio station. He ran student government. I just have to sit in front of him well we'd be going through our budgets and the whole thing so it would be uh it would who knows maybe that would be popular that would be and you struck I, I bet you struck a fairly good relationship when, when we they did control yes, the money yes. you, you gotta Absolutely. be nice no at the time so dan mcgowan great job as always and we'll talk to you again thanks john have a great day